0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome Welcome to the Ron Show on America
1: One
2: Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a good Thursday morning to you. Welcome wherever you're listening on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast, we appreciate that. Today, starting off a little weird, like uh, for some reason, I woke up at six o'clock this morning and a have I've got to get out of is checking my phone to see if I missed any calls or texts or anything like that, especially at 6 a.m. The thing that I noticed wasn't missed calls or texts or anything like that, but that I actually had no cell service whatsoever. And <laughs> I don't know if it's my, uh, my humble upbringings or what, but I thought, did I pay the bill? Well, surely I paid the bill because it's auto-drafted. And I always... I get notifications every time a bill gets paid automatically and I always cuss. It's like, ugh, I got my money. AT&T got my $70 whatever whatever it is I pay for them every month." And so I knew I was current on my uh on my payment plan, but still it had me tossing and turning for about 15 minutes and then I said, "Eh, I'm just going to go back to sleep and wake up when I decide to wake up." And I usually wake up around 7, 7:15 7. or something like that because I've got to get this show going, right? And I wake up and I check my phone again and ugh, still don't have service. What's up with that? Um, and just to give you a little bit of a lay of the land in my condo, the Wi-Fi router is just barely strong enough to handle. Uh, there's three televisions in the condo and uh, the laptop uh, and not much else. For whatever reason, my iPhone says, eh, not enough Wi-Fi for me to go on Google and see why I'm getting an SOS signal on my phone. And then I come out to the living room where I do the podcast and my laptop's still connected to the Wi-Fi. I I Google to find out what's going on with my cell service and Fox News is what pops up. Cellular outage is being reported nationwide. The tracking website downdetector.com is
3: reporting more than... Thirty-two thousand outages for AT&T customers.
4: We're also hearing reports of customers with AT&T are
2: struggling to uh, call 911, and that is a problem.
4: That's not good. All right, more than 800 outages also reported for Verizon and T-Mobile users. It's Ooh. unclear what caused this outage. There has been no word yet from any of these major cellular, cellular networks. Did I'm, you have a problem this morning, Pete? I didn't, By didn't notice By
2: the way, it. welcome. Uh, great to be here. I did not notice it, but a lot of people have. Yeah. And I, it's coast to coast. It's not the kind of thing that was just happening here in New York. Apparently, reports are it's all the way to L.A., maybe international, too. Uh, I, I see uh, L.A. down atlanta uh, san diego san antonio chicago san francisco and honolulu so what about uh, surfside beach in south carolina lawrence uh, poll the audience ask for the hands if anybody's having a cell phone problem yes
3: yeah let's ask the folks here okay who's having cell phone issues here today who has AT&T raise your hand AT&T Cell phone issue. What about Verizon? <laughs> Who's having some Verizon issues today? Okay. Yep. yep. So yeah. pretty much everyone, guys, is having the same issues. Well, Lawrence, thank God for the Wi-Fi network, because that's was, what we're using. Yeah,
4: I was going to say, because it's the data. Uh, Lexi, our assistant, she came in this morning and she said, my data's not working, but when I get to Fox and I turn it on Wi-Fi, right. my phone works now.
2: Yeah, so uh, thanks for that report from the Golden Egg in Surfside Beach, South Carolina, Fox News. This reminds me of a movie we just all panicked over here in recent months, right? Does it not? Does that not make you think of the Julia Roberts Netflix movie? Remember this?
5: I went online this morning and I rented us a beautiful house out by the beach. I figured if I made the reservation and packed our bags, it would eliminate most of the reasons to say no. Oh,
2: this is nice. Kids look so happy.
1: Wi-Fi isn't working.
2: Uh-oh. Get a bat. I'm so sorry to bother you, but this is our house.
5: This is your house?
2: A favor brought to you, obviously. We were driving back to the city, then something happened.
5: You want to stay here, but we're staying here. We need to get them out of here. Yeah
0: need to
2: think everything's gonna be okay
5: everything
2: is gonna be okay so, all the services go out trains, trains and Cyber planes and boats are conflict. crashing and yeah. something
5: is happening and yes. i don't trust them
2: yes leave the world behind remember that <laughs> is this the start of leave the world behind i mean i think i'm kind of screwed because i only have half a tank of gas <laughs> maybe i go for, see this is where this is where the panic starts right you uh, you run to the store you get whatever necessities you need cans of hormel meats and, ugh, uh, and i'm going to maybe wait this out till noon at which point i'm screwed uh, <laughs> now i'm sitting here looking at uh, downdetector.com and you can see where there starts to be a spike in reports of outages Uh, Somewhere in the 4.30 to 5 a.m. time frame, I think that's naturally just folks waking up and realizing that they don't have service and reporting the outage. And then you see spikes leading up to right about the time that this show begins its production, which is in the 8 o'clock hour. When you look at uh, the live outage map, yeah, it's it's coast to coast. Uh, It looks like the most heavy concentrations of outages are in North Carolina. Uh, North Georgia, Metro Atlanta being the radiating hot spot there. It looks like uh, the Gulf Coast of Mississippi and Houston, Dallas Metro, Northeast Oklahoma, and Southern California right now, where most of at problems, anyway, are detected according to downdetector.com. This reminds me, by the way, of an article that I read when that movie was hot. Uh, Leave the world behind. Uh, Margie Murphy wrote this uh, for Bloomberg and sort of made me feel better. I was able to sleep at night. I mean, that that scenario really sort of chilled me a little bit. And maybe it's just because I like apocalyptic storylines and TV shows. I'm a Walking Dead fan. and, And I saw, well, obviously the way they adapted the way... The world just kind of went into chaos within days. And so I guess I'm susceptible to thinking the worst (laughs) in situations like that. Uh, Anyway, uh, her story headline, Why the Hack and Leave the World Behind, is chilling but unlikely. She believes that much of the world is more prepared for a hack than that movie might have suggested. Uh, She wrote... In Leave the World Behind, a much-hyped Netflix movie starring Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke, hackers attack the U.S., sending the country into an apocalyptic mess. Shipping container ships plow into the beach. Thousands of uh, hijacked Teslas pile up on the roadways. That was that was pretty gruesome right there. Uh, as the credits roll, society teeters on the brink of a civil war. But could it really happen, she writes. The film, based on a 2020 novel of the same name, and counting Barack and Michelle Obama as executive producers, Arrived on the streaming service during a barrage of real life hacks and dire warnings. A Russian cyber attack on a Ukrainian telecommunication company cut civilians there off from basic communication and critical alerts about Russian shelling. A hacking group linked to Iran's military recently compromised U.S. water utilities, though the safety of water wasn't affected. Russia, Iran, not like we haven't been having some issues with those. Two countries, even more recently than when Leave the World Behind came out, right? Some of the scenes from Leave the World Behind, such as the Teslas piled up on the roadway, are, quote, far-fetched, according to Margie Murphy. Uh, That is, according to Jason Casey, chief executive officer of the authentication company Beyond Identity. Okay, I feel better about that. In a world of self-driving cars, quote, It's not hard to imagine exploiting the core software of a company like Tesla, Casey said. But targeting an entire fleet would be incredibly difficult and unlikely to go undetected. Similarly, it's improbable that planes would drop out of the sky or ships would run aground. Feel better about that, too. While it's possible to both hack systems... On boats and planes, as well as send fake navigation signals, most of the planes and boats still have an ability for the crew to take over if something seems amiss, Casey said. Even a cybersecurity expert who describes himself as a prepper said that while it's impossible for hackers to disrupt critical sectors of the economy and even cause human harms, it's, quote, very different than using cyber attacks to impact an entire nation. Peter Nicoletti, a global field chief information security officer uh, at Checkpoint Software Technologies, Margie Murphy writes, said, resilient energy systems, undersea fiber cables, stronger cyber defenses, and human intervention each represent strong safeguards against such attacks. Okay, feeling better. Nevertheless, Nicoletti is preparing for some kind of apocalypse. What? A self-described prepper. He waved around a Geiger radiation uh, sense and iodine pills during a Zoom call and said his Florida home is equipped with emergency power and months of food and water. I'm going to look up where this guy lives in Florida. Just go ahead and put that in my GPS. He warned that cyber attacks on certain sectors could fuel panic, like a run on banks or fuel supply chain issues using the 2021 ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline. Yeah, we remember this, right? Uh, Which created fuel shortages along the U.S. East Coast as an example. Here's what he said. I've seen power systems taken out, bank systems taken out, and transport systems taken out. These are small indications of what could potentially happen with a nation-state effort to create chaos and panic in our country. But it would be very difficult to cut an entire country off. And as I start my show with this segment, I, it, it occurs to me when it replays at 5 p.m., <laughs> this is likely resolved, and I'm just going to have to do a new segment. You know what? Let it rest. This is uh, just a snapshot in time, right? Uh, I'm looking all throughout the uh, Twitter X platform to see what people are saying. And for the most part, uh, folks want credit on their bills. <laughs> hey, wait. So anyway, I go to AT&T's official Twitter X account. They haven't posted anything for three days. And I noticed somebody tweets at them about this problem just minutes ago. Somebody named (laughs) Measy. And they get an auto response from Jasmine K., the social bot. Uh, Hi there. This is Jasmine from the AT&T social media team. I'm here to get the help you need. Please meet us on DM to work around this. So if I go into DMs, is Jasmine K going to have this fixed? No, obviously not. There's where there's where this country's in trouble. We're going to chat bots ourselves into an apocalyptic frenzy in some kind of way, shape, form, or fashion. Anyway, that's how today's show starts, y'all. Uh, I had a, a guest lined up, and we can't really get each other. On. I mean, I guess I could try to zoom them, but that that's a whole different spectrum of pre-production that I just am not prepared nor have the time to do. So we're sort of waiting this out and we may have to postpone our conversation for another time. Uh, In any event, here's how your day starts on Thursday morning. Hopefully you're not affected, but then what service are you using? Can't help but wonder what sort of effect this had on commutes too, because if you don't have wireless service, Lyft or Uber driver, you can't use The apps to connect with riders and riders to connect with... Oh, boy. I'm glad I'm staying home today. Okay. Let's catch our breath. Welcome back to The Ron Show. Thursday. The Georgia Department of Transportation's social media team can be cringeworthy at times. (laughs) Yesterday, uh, on their social media apparatus, uh, I see it on Facebook. I see it on Instagram. uh, They post this photo, this overhead photo, a drone photo of the I-16 and I-75 interchange near Macon, Georgia. And excitedly right, the $500 million I-16, I-75 interchange improvement project is transforming the city's infrastructure. Phases two and three set for spring of 2024 include widening and reconstruction from Hardman Avenue to Pierce Avenue, a $155 million investment Phases four and five by winter 2025 add $231 million, completing I-16 eastbound and enhancing 2nd Street. Phase six, which is in design, aims for I-75 northbound and southbound upgrades. This mega project ensures safer and more efficient travel, accommodating Macon's booming growth. Okay, so that's a $500 million project. We have... The interchange at I-20 west of Atlanta and I-285, that project is expected to cost $1.45 billion. Recently, the state just chose a contractor for a $685 million project to revamp the interchange on the east side of Atlanta at I-20 and I-285. And I'm not saying that that money and those projects aren't needed. I am saying that we keep throwing money at a transportation mode without any pushback. Again, because we all who live in Metro Atlanta or drive through Atlanta need to get to Atlanta from outside Metro Atlanta. Understand that we got a lot of vehicles on the road and not enough lanes for it. Now, that being said, it's not like Metro Atlanta is underserved by highway mileage. Uh, in the late 1990s, Atlanta led the nation in lane miles per capita. Uh, we have since, by the way, slipped to six. We're behind San Antonio, St. Louis, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Kansas City. Kansas City, that's crazy. But all of those t- cities <laughs> have traffic problems, much like Atlanta. We keep hearing the refrain, we full," and And that's not really the case. Trust me, as a residential realtor, I can tell you, there's plenty of Plenty of places to build housing, equitable housing, fair housing, affordable housing, and that's another conversation for another day. With the uh, stops and starts in you know residential home construction since uh, the housing crash of two thousand eight, that's a problem. But it's it's our highways that continue to get more and more and more and more packed, and so <laughs> there were those who were chiming in on GDOT's social media, thinking, oh, good, one more lane, just one more lane, and that'll fix it. Or where could that money have gone elsewhere? Like, I don't know, passenger rail. And there's a point to be made there. And yet, passenger rail always gets skewered for its cost. And yes, passenger rail, commuter rail does have a high cost. But what you don't find necessary with passenger rail is just one more lane. I was actually reading an article uh, from the High Speed Rail Alliance about the cost and why the cost of you know, high speed rail or laying rail for commuter rail uh, of any kind is expensive. And, and they cite factors like uh, the inappropriate use of consultants uh, in the United States. There's always a consultant. The, the old meme about driving past the DOT crew and they're all standing around the hole, staring at the hole, discussing what to do about the hole, right? Well, that happens on a macro level with the white-collar folks in the consultancies, too. Labor costs, a second driver of high cost. Um, the issue, uh, the High-Speed Rail Alliance says, isn't wages per se, since most European countries pay equivalent or higher wages for construction work. It's more about the overall number of workers employed on projects, along with the deference to car culture in the U.S., which not only slows down projects, but leads to workers being paid for overtime and overnight shifts. The relative lack of standardization in U.S. projects, it writes, is a third key factor. Countries with lower construction costs emphasize standardization and really trying to economize as much as possible, according to this survey. A fourth factor is that there are so many stakeholders with their own agendas in the United States. Listen to this quote. One of the things that's interesting in this research is how often government agencies or utility companies gum up these projects because they want something. There's all these opportunities for extraction, and there needs to be someone at a high enough power, like a mayor, who is saying, Cut the crap. We need to get this done. You can't keep trying to extract more and more bribes from these mega projects. Yikes. They summarize, together, these factors create a dysfunctional cycle. Delays and high construction costs lead the public to lose faith in agencies' abilities to build projects at a reasonable cost in a timely manner, which means fewer projects are actually approved and built, which further deteriorates the agency's capacity and expertise. And I might add, doesn't fix our problems. <laughs> You skim further uh, in the Georgia Department of Transportation social media, and it was uh, yesterday morning. uh, They posted photos from a work project with cranes and all kinds of traffic backed up on either side. Is this why Peter gets a construction job and enjoys a happy life? We get it. Our improvement projects are our happy place. It might be their happy place, but those folks who are stuck in the traffic, not so happy. It's... uh, (laughs) Uh, i'm 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 not one to criticize uh, folks who handle PR and social media uh, all that often, but this sort of stuff is kind of cringeworthy. And obviously, the Georgia Department of Transportation is the state agency that funds not one dime to commuter rail or even to Marta. Marta, for those who haven't heard me say this before, is the largest commuter rail network in the country not to receive a penny of state funding. Folks who wonder why we don't have MARTA taking us to Kennesaw, to Roswell, into Gwinnett, down to Clayton County, you know, using rail service anyway, out to Douglas County, encircling the city, following along I-285. What a world to live in that would be if we we had those options. And then uh, a strong streetcar network in the city of Atlanta Maybe going up and down Pete Street, connecting uh, Colony Square to Midtown to Downtown. We don't have these these things because they've been unfunded or underfunded for almost their entire existence. And a lot of that is steeped in silly old racist tropes. But that's a, get another conversation for another day. Back after this, The Ron Show on the American One Radio app, com, or wherever you podcast.
0: Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. Uh,
2: Yesterday, the Georgia State Senate Subcommittee on Education and Youth took up SB 154. It's a library censorship bill. Uh, Marissa Pyle uh, tweeting that uh, we heard uh, a lot about this yesterday with a lot of general nonsense speckled with some truly alarming quotes about, quote, limiting the Public Schools Authority Over a Child and Absolute Parental Rights. I want you to listen to this one parent who spoke uh, to censorship, and the use of the word homosexuality looped in with sexual acts.
3: My name is Jennifer Hadley.
2: Um,
3: I don't have the latest version of this bill, but I do have some questions. Uh, The definition for sexual conduct includes... Actual or simulated acts of masturbation, comma, homosexuality, comma, intercourse, and carries on. So it reads <laughs> that a definition of sexual conduct would be actual or simulated acts of homosexuality. I have gay children. My children are not unclean. A book depicting them holding hands or kissing another boy is not unclean. And they deserve representation in our libraries. There is nothing wrong with my children and I need y'all to vote against this bill. Thank you for your time.
0: Wow, thank you. Then we've got uh, Tracy Nance.
3: Good afternoon, my name is Tracy Nance. I am a parent, an educator in the 2020 and 2021 Georgia Teacher of the Year. Um, I certainly will be brief because my issue is very similar to the one that Ms. Hadley just offered up. The problem here is including a whole legal human being someone who is born homosexual into this definition of sexual conduct. My last principle, you know, of the principal of Georgia, even is homosexual. And to even to say that he is a human being, his person, his beliefs is wrong. What next? What follows this bill? Will people become illegal to be in schools if they have a certain background? Approximately 10% of the Georgia's population identifies themselves with the LGBTQ plus community. And when I'm looking at Senate Bill 501, for example, the 10 commandments bill that purports to put the word adultery in elementary schools, if a fourth grader asks me what the word adultery means, does that not touch on sexual conduct itself? If we're gonna use the same definition as homosexuality, this bill is absolutely not what Georgians want. And more importantly it's not who we are i have students in my class who come from families of lgbtq plus community members and it's just it's insulting and heartbreaking and i think it's high time that georgia follows along in middle of the road politics
0: thank you Uh, and just to be clear this bill i mean it it does not focus on homosexuality or, or anyone uh, particular group or or standard it, it, it is across the board dealing with sexual content. just want to make that clear to the audience
6: <laughs> I was going to ask the previous person just in the nature of dis- discussion is is the word it, it, she referred to homosexuality being called out as, as, as a where is that in here
3: it is one of the definitions of sexual conduct. And it's described explicitly.
6: What, what line number are we talking about? No, please, ma'am.
3: I don't have the newest version in front of me, but I can tell you that it mentions the various codes. It says harmful to minors as mentioned in code, et cetera, et cetera.
6: I, I just, I've got the code right here. I'm going to look it up on my iPad. I just want just in, in the spirit of, you know, we're, you're being listened to. Whether, whether there, there may be some policy disagreements, but I just want to make sure we're, we're... I
3: just, I feel strongly that the homosexuality should be far removed from any definition of being sexually explicit or somehow negative
1: sexual conduct
4: the,
3: the I have a fourth grader who has four moms because her mothers who were legally married in this state by the way have split and remarried am I supposed to tell that child that her family is sexually explicit?
6: Well, I, mean, I, I don't know yeah, that, I, again, Mr. Matt, I don't want to take this too far. I just the if there's acts of heterosexual intercourse or acts of homosexual homosexuality, that is sexual that that, that is sexual behavior. So is
3: marriage I, between a man and a woman though?
6: Right. My, my, my point is mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying trying to understand the complaint. Are, are we? I, I want to. I mean, are we trying to, pro- in a probative way, get to some real language, or is this just a criticism of that we're taking the bill up in general? I
3: no, mean- honestly, I just think that this is taking it a step too far to include members of our state. You know, like I said, 10 percent. We can't include them in this. And my concern is that this would be extended to books like Antango Makes Three, where there are two male penguins, and they take care of a found penguin chick egg, right? that's just not appropriate and we can't let this kind of law which just as senator sims says none of us want to put you know inappropriate or irrelevant material in front of kids that's just not what educators are here for
6: but we're taking you at your word and we're taking your, your word seriously so i want to understand how the word operates in law i mean if this is a if you're just saying, we don't like this bill, we don't like the fact that we're talking about it, I, I'm gonna give you more respect than that, okay? So I wanna understand how that word in 1612-102, I'm, I'm gonna pull it up right here, how it operates, and if it's just listing a series of sexual acts, which may be heterosexuality, homosexuality, oral sex, a whole whole host of things, I don't think anyone here, no matter where you're on this bill, would say that that's not sexual behavior. I mean, it's sexual conduct. I mean, is the word
3: adultery sexual conduct? Then,
6: I don't know that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, mm-hmm. it depends. I mean, an act—I think, I think an act of adultery could be there could be touches that's not. Sexual, I think sexual conduct tends to. I mean, there's a definition. I'm going to look this up. I just I want to understand what you're you're saying. That a word operates in law in a way that's distorting the bill. Or are you just mad at the bill? No,
3: I think, and I appreciate you for clar- wanting more information there. What I'm concerned about is including the word homosexual in those terms in that definition is going to result in people wanting to ban books that have but, any depiction whatsoever of a queer relationship.
6: But, but 1612-102 is not in this bill. It's an existing law. So existing law defines acts of homosexuality as sexual conduct. So how does this bill change that?
3: So would the Penguin, be, Penguin Book be allowed, the one that I mentioned? Because there are, there's no sexual conduct in the Penguin Book whatsoever.
0: Well, we would have to, you know, I mean, you're asking us to to rate a book. These books have been banned in other states. it's it's very clear, you know, it states, you know, sexual conduct, which means uh, actual or assimilated acts, uh, masturbation, homosexuality, sexual intercourse, talking about heterosexual. I mean, it covers all that. So it's not targeting any one particular group. And then also you're asking us to talk about a book that we're going to have present here to view, but we're going to have to move on. Thank you for your testimony. Uh, Next up is uh, Sarah Blackwell.
1: Good afternoon, Chairman um, and members of the committee. My name is Sarah Hunt Blackwell. I'm the First Amendment Policy Advocate with the ACLU of Georgia. Yeah. Um, I, I want to take just a little bit of time to kind of clarify um, what Tracy was just saying. The the code um, that's referenced is 16-12-102, subsection 5. Um, and it says that sexual conduct means actual or simulated acts of masturbation, comma, homosexuality. Um,
0: Yeah, keep reading. Right, right. So homosexuality
1: isn't inherently sexual. Just just because you're saying that there's homosexuality, that could just mean generally a relationship between two people of the same sex, but there doesn't have to be any sexual act included within that.
2: Speaking on behalf of a divorced gay male, I can tell you (laughs) being gay isn't necessarily sexual, unfortunately.
1: That's why we're bringing issue to that word being included and referenced within the bill. so I just kind of wanted to point that out and make that distinction. Um, beyond that, and, and I'm, I'm happy to take questions too, but beyond that, um, this bill is an unconstitutional censorship bill that designates books based on content. Um, Some of the language that's included in this bill, such as vulgar, restricted material, and just the definition of sexually explicit conduct itself does not fall in line with the Miller test. Um, And any bans and and prohibitions on books and um, curricula in schools must fall in line with the Miller test. And there's a lot of language in here that does not fall within that line. Um, Harmful to minors might be a copy and paste. But there are other, there's substantial language in here that does not fall in line with the Miller test at all.
0: Thank you. Uh, Jennifer Sanders. Saunders, sorry about that.
7: Good evening, yes, Jennifer Saunders. I am a 25-year educator. I'm currently the Director of Library Media Services here in one of our districts in Georgia. And I just wanna make sure that you all are, are aware of the procedures that we have in place in our current school district. Our, and, and how books are selected. So our books are selected on an individual school basis based on the interests of the students, the requests of the teachers and the curriculum. And our media specialists use professional recommendations from the Horn book or the school library journal as to which books should be added to the collection. There is a committee to review those books so it's not just a one-off I'm going to add this book because I, it's I think it should be because the cover is pretty, because I think it should be on the shelves. We have specific procedures for that. And if a book is challenged, we have procedures already in place for that as well. So that makes me wonder why this bill is necessary when I know districts already have these policies in place for circumstances such as book challenges, which I had one this year in our current school district. It's additionally I'm concerned that the state Library media committee has a vacancy at its its head right and that's been vacant since August 1st so when you talk about creating a committee to address any challenges or any concerns of how we place books on the shelves let's start by making sure that we have someone in place to help all of the districts in the state of Georgia with this very thing book selection processes and book challenges um, a couple of things I heard someone mention empowering parents I think that's redundant because parents have the power already. Parents make the decision and support their students and and their children with what they should read and shouldn't read and then have those conversations with them. I had two children that came through the public school system and we had those conversations regularly and there were some materials that they searched for on their own that I had to tell them not to but I think that um, this bill has some concerns um, and I don't I don't think it's necessary.
2: Thank Thank you. you but who is she she's just a librarian.
7: Chairman, do you mind? No, go ahead. Thank you so much. This will be very short. This legislation relates only to public schools? From my understanding, yes. All right. So what do you think? Do you think this is possible in a private school, a parochial school? Do I think this bill is applicable in a private school, or do I think that it's possible that they have... No, it's possible, it is, that is that it possible for children to get their hands on explicit materials in, private in, schools? in those schools. Oh, yes. But we're only addressing... Public, Public education. Correct. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, next up, our last speaker is uh, Nora uh, Benavitez. Sorry if I mispronounced that.
5: You were pretty close, and yesterday you got it correct. Um, it's great to be here again. I'm Nora Benavides. I'm on the board of the Georgia First Amendment Foundation, um, and I'm here in my capacity as a board member to oppose 394. I want to talk about four things. One, the text of 394 has really mixed a lot of different definitions together. I don't have time to go through all of that, but in the Miller test, there is a there are three parts to it, and all three must be met for a work to be con- considered obscene. The third piece is what I want to focus on, and that is whether the work taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. That is a very large burden and hurdle for us to get through for a work to be considered obscene. Um, And... Within that, then, given that all three must be um, required, all three elements, I worry that this bill conflates several different definitions. Second is the issue of where non-minors, adults, are already in schools, 18-year-olds, let's say, um, that are already in a high school. They've been held back or something else. The Supreme Court has found that when trying to regulate harmful content for minors, the government cannot reduce the level of discourse to that of what they call a sandbox when some students are not minors. That means that they cannot reduce the adult population to only what is fit fit for children. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the vendor issues, and I have not seen the updated language. I haven't seen the text, so um, based on an hour ago, I saw that the provisions mandating that boards of education use vendors that provide ratings of books. That is needless, since even if a small percentage of a primary instructional material includes sexually explicit material, that will not rise to meet the Miller test. Um, Paired with Senate Bill 154, and this is my last point, which we talked about yesterday, it feels sort of like a one-two punch. Um, Senator, you spoke a lot about what are the penalties here. Um, If in fact something is deemed harmful to minors or sexually explicit, and this bill conflates those definitions over and over, I worry that what we're really doing is opening the door to criminal penalties beyond what is discussed today. And so we have to look holistically, as I know several senators spoke about yesterday, to the landscape that we are creating for our children, and I want to make sure we're protecting their free speech rights. Thank
2: Thank you. All right. So listen, this spilled over. We've got a few more instances that I want to share with you, some commentary back and forth between uh, Senator Elena Parent Clint Dixon and uh, Ed Seltzer. So we're going to take a quick break, come back and give you some of that when the Show returns on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com or review podcast. All right. We're in the home stretch. Thank you for listening, by the way. We're uh, eavesdropping in on yesterday's uh, Senate subcommittee hearing uh, with regard to uh, education and youth. Senate Bill 394, SB 394, targeting uh, scrutinizing of public school library offerings. Uh, And uh, by the way, this, uh, you know, I'm going to let Senator Elena Parent tell you uh, why this is sort of a head scratcher for her. And uh, she'll make the point better than I will, obviously.
4: Thank you. Um, One of my concerns here is, you know, we're setting up sort of a, seems like a, a large, new bureaucracy. Also, I currently can't keep track of all the bills that are delving into this exact same subject. There have been so many. So we're like firing off in a million different directions. Um, And I'm not sure exactly what the intent there is um, in terms of having any kind of coherent, um, internally cohesive policy that we're attempting to put forward or if we're just kind of throwing bills in the air to satisfy either donors or mm-hmm. um, certain groups. Yep. But my bigger concern is um, along the lines raised by some of our, our speakers um, about gay kids or, or kids that have gay parents. Um, it's been a long time now since the Supreme Court um, said that gay people can get married and they have full rights in this society and there are going to be children in schools whose parents are gay and there's no way to as much as many groups would like to reverse that or exclude those folks there's simply no way and what i see here on this list that out of a lot of groups with with any gay content and any content dealing with racism and so it's like an attempt to indoctrinate values yep The claim has been, oh, there's all this indoctrination. Well, there's a lot of indoctrination in trying to wipe out discussions about past history, Mm -hmm. racism, Mm -hmm. or gay kids. And it's not going to happen. Okay? It's not going to happen. And learning, we only can all be in our own skins. Right? You only go through life with your own experience and your own perspective. Education and learning and, dare I say, reading is about broadening that. Because all of our perspectives are important, but they are not complete. And a lot of people driving this think that they have the only one God-ordained perspective on life. And that's all they want to hear about and that's all they want kids to know. And it's never going to work.
0: Thank you, Senator. But this is talking about books and sexual material in books. You went off on a tangent that didn't even pertain to the bill.
4: Um, No, the homosexuality part is exactly pertaining to this bill. Got a list. It has
0: to do with sexual content in books.
4: Okay, I understand. There's a heterosexual,
0: a homosexual, any of that. We don't want to expose our kids to any of that when they're minors. They don't. There's no business for them to be looking at any of that.
4: You can say that, Senator, but the problem is the word is the word homosexuality is not about sexual behavior.
0: Yeah, continue reading the definition. You need to finish reading it because it goes through. There's a comma after that, and it goes. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Ed Seltzer.
6: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. As we consider action on this, perhaps... uh, I just want to address what was raised by Senator Parent to those... I know there's people who are here in the audience. I know there's people here in Georgia. Um, I want to challenge the premise that, um, again, my my friend, the lady from the 42nd, 42nd, um, raised. Um, this, This is not about donors. This is not about certain groups. This is about... Parents who've come to us across the state, no matter what district you live in, parents have come to us and say, there there seems to be a a, a rising onslaught of content that would not have been in our libraries in previous years. Parents of kids older age, younger age, um, they're saying there's more and more now coming at our kids, both in the library and also through electronic media. Help us. We can't. We can't get our hands around this. Our school board leaders, memory school board members, feel like they're they're paralyzed and not really able to, to address this. This is addressing a real problem. I think everybody here would agree there's a threshold of what's appropriate for kids and what's not. We might draw the threshold, the line in a different place, but as the Senator from the eight said earlier, there's there's no one wants to bring in stuff that they think's bad. We might draw the line in different places. I want to challenge the premise that this is some effort to to, to somehow marginalize, in, in, in the senator from the 40 seconds words, gay kids or exclude people. That's false. It's, it's false. I'm not uh, We will have
0: quorum in here, uh, the senator speaking. Please do I, not I think interrupt.
6: It, it was raised by one of the people that testified. That's why I asked the clarifying question. We're not singling out any specific act of sexuality. We're simply saying there's a broad array of sex acts that are not appropriate for certain age groups. And we need to have a process to get our hands around this so the values of our communities and our parents can be brought to bear in our schools. That's- the problem is, again, the word in and of itself, I mean, literally
2: abandoned on its own, excluded by commas on either side, the term homosexuality is to give a broad opportunity for those who wish to ban books to simply ban a book because of the existence of homosexuality in the book. That's the argument being made. And oh, by the way, cogently and substantively and from an informed and educated group of folks who gave comments. And so naturally it passed in the Republican-led subcommittee by a five-to-one vote with abstentions. You can't make this stuff up. So it'll go back to the Senate floor for a full vote and then there'll be crossover day and the House. will get to kick this around too and we'll see where it goes. (laughs) Just... (laughs) The party of limited government looking to set up a bureaucracy to police your school's librarian. If your school even is blessed enough to be funded well enough to have a librarian, I guess I should say. Full disclosure, I actually texted Senator Elena Parent last night, thanking her for sticking up for the LGBTQIA plus youth and their families or families of the LGBTQIA plus. It's moments like these I have to remind myself that it's 2024 and not 1964. Anyway, that's going to do it for the Ron Show. Replays 5 to 6 p.m. today on the American One Radio app, Radio.com. On demand on the Progressive Voices Network. Now, by the way, show notes at Ronshowatl.com and back here tomorrow, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on American One Radio. Listen wherever you podcast too. Thank you for doing that. Have a good one.